Catherine? Mary! Somebody! I got it. Not death. I wonder sometimes. Here goes. Yeah. It's the starter. That is definitely the starter. Starter is starting to make us late. We all gonna end up unemployed riding around in this pile of junk to work every day. You're welcome to walk the 16 miles. Or oh, sit in the back of the bus. <laughs> I won't do neither. I'll hitchhike. Girls. No crime in a broken down car. No crime being Negro, neither. Button it up, Mary. Nobody wants to go to jail behind your mouth. I'll do my best, sugar. Not a great place for three y'all be having car trouble. We didn't pick the place, officer. It picked us. You being disrespectful? No, sir. You have identification on me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're just on our way to work at Langley. NASA, sir. We do a great deal of the calculating, getting our rockets into space. All three of you? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Yes, officer. NASA? That's some. I had no idea they hired. There are quite a few women working in the space program. Well, hell, least I can do is give y'all an escort. I imagine you're running late to work. Oh, no, sir, we wouldn't want to bother that you. That would be wonderful, officer. Thank you so much, sir. Follow me. I'm driving. Hurry up, George, Thank before you. he changes his mind. We're coming. Hold your horses. Look at here. Where to begin? Three Negro women are chasing a white police officer down the highway in Hampton, Virginia, 1961. Ladies, that there is a God-ordained miracle. <laughs> and tomorrow, I'm riding the bus. <laughs> Welcome to uh, week three of At The Movies. Uh, I hope that uh, this series is, is kind of hitting you in a little different way than what we normally do. This is obviously very different than our, our normal approach to church, but uh, it's always cool for me to see how we can pull the gospel out of things where the gospel was never intended to be pulled out of by those who came up with it. Today we're looking at a movie called Hidden Figures. It's a movie that's only a, a year or two old, and it tells the story, a true story, of three brilliant African-American women in the early 1960s in Virginia who work for NASA. They're behind the scenes at, at uh, 
some of the greatest achievements that our country uh, had in, in the 20th century, getting men into space and bringing them home safely. In particular, it follows uh, these three women you saw there, Dorothy Vaughn, who was uh, the one up underneath the car trying to get it fixed. Uh, she uh, works in, in calculations. That Catherine Johnson, who was there sitting in the, the driver's seat uh, while they were stopped, she's a, what they call a human computer brilliant mathematician, and then Mary Jackson, the wise-cracking one who was standing at the back, uh, she uh, uh, wants to be an engineer, brilliant minds all the way around, but they helped, as the movie shows, get uh, Alan Shepard into space and brought him home safely, and then Gus Grissom, and then the movie really centers around them getting Colonel John Glenn into orbit and bringing him home safely. And you can kind of see, that's the opening scene of the movie, you can kind of see where it's teed up, and anybody who lived through this period or is a student of history knows that this was not a a, a time that was very kind and warm and welcoming to African Americans, specifically to African American women. And so as you watch this movie, it's pretty heavily layered uh, with racism and bigotry and sexism. You see all of these that play out throughout this movie, yet what I love about this movie is it shows the courage that these women had the drive that these women had to overcome that, to, to, to stand up, to use uh, their God-given abilities and talents to push forward and cross those lines that were drawn to keep them out. And in particular, you're going to see in this next scene, all three of them are faced with very, uh, very, very tough boundaries and obstacles uh, to overcome, yet even with the odds stacked against them, they persevered. The friction, it is under during re-entry. Most Shield erosion occurs on the posterior side abutting the retro boosters. Conclusion? The area closest to the boosters is closest to the heat. Coupled with rising temperature on re-entry, the contact softens. We could consider another fastener other than the boats. Yes. Yes. There is another opening in the engineer training program. Flathead rivets would reduce wind drag. Mary, a person with engineer's mind should be an engineer. You can't be a computer the rest of your life. Mr. Zelensky, I'm a Negro woman. I'm not going to entertain the impossible. And I'm a Polish Jew whose parents died in a Nazi prison camp. Now I'm standing beneath a spaceship that's going to carry an astronaut to the stars. I think we can say, We are living the impossible. Let me ask you, if you were a white male, would you wish to be an engineer? I wouldn't have to. I'd already be one. Skirts must be worn past the knee. Sweaters are preferred to blouses. No jewelry. A simple pearl necklace is the exception. Your supervisor is Mr. Al Harrison, director of the space test group. You'll write research, proof calculation, and so forth. Do not talk to Mr. Harrison unless he talks to you. Not many computers last more than a few days. He's been through a dozen in as many months. Come on, keep up. Things move fast around here. Your clearance. They've never had a colored in here before, Catherine. Don't embarrass me.
This wasn't empty last night. I'm sorry, I'm not the custodian. Excuse me, ma'am. Mr. Harrison's computer reporting. Take the desk in the back. I'll get you working in. Bed. Mr. Harrison won't warm up to you. Don't expect it. Do your work. Keep your head down. Thank you. Go on. Get settled. doesn't make it right. Understand? Yes, Mama. You act right, you are right. That's for certain. Understand? Yes, Mama. Some context here. I was born in 1982, and so it's hard for me at times to realize this happened. Some of you lived through it. Some of you saw it firsthand. Some of you, like me, have just seen it in old movies or uh, historical recreations or read about it in the history books, but it's hard for me to fathom a place that was so prejudiced that people had to use a different restroom or drink from a different fountain or ride in different seats simply because of the color of their skin. It's hard for me to believe that such asinine prejudice not only existed, but was so widely accepted. You heard Mary say, that's just the way it is. That's what the lady said to her in the library. And then as Dorothy says to her boys, just because it's the way doesn't make it right. And I wonder because I know I've heard stories, whether it was from my grandparents or people of that generation that I grew up with in a small town in Oklahoma that was known for being a racist town, a town that once upon a time had a sign, a big billboard by the interstate with a racial slur followed by the words, don't let the sun set on you. It's hard for me to hear them say, well, that's just the way things were back then. Because here's the thing, folks, I, I look at this, and I don't care how much things were just the way it was, how much it was accepted, how much it was even pushed, it's racism. And I look back at this, and no matter how structured or institutionalized it was, I wonder, not just if, if we should look back through history and go, man, were we right or wrong, but I wonder if the question we should ask is, 
Man, how much has this broken God's heart over the years? That we take somebody that he created in his image and we drop them down the rung because they don't look like us or sound like us. I wonder how much that is. My guess is it breaks his heart quite a bit, and the reason I say that is because of a, a passage from the New Testament when the Apostle Paul writes these words in Galatians 3, he says, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, for all who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. <clears throat> says, there are neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. You notice a little theme here? All. You know what the Greek word for all is? All. That's what it means. Everybody. And in particular, in this passage, this verse right here, he addresses the three major dividing lines that we have had and and most societies have had. He addresses racism. You're neither Jew nor Gentile. He addresses uh, kind of classism or your socioeconomic status. There's neither slave nor free. And he addresses sexism. There's neither male nor female. No, you are all children of God. That's what Paul writes there. And you look at these these ladies that are working here. They know who they are. They they aren't going to be defined by the color of their skin or by their gender. They're going to be defined by what God created them to be, by the gifts and the talents that God gave them, by by what God put in front of them to accomplish. And they're not going to be held back just because they're not a white male. I love their spirit. They're not going to be held back by, by pettiness. They're going to uh, take on their destiny. This movie is very accurate in, in the portrayal of these three women. They're women of faith. They're women who understand what God has put in front of them, and, and they're not going to let any obstacle whatsoever get in their path. Well, watch how powerful this next scene is. Ruth, yes, give me sir. the cape on the line. Shepherd's trajectories need to be updated. Wow. Where is she? You and now are different from each other. Shut up, I remember. I see numbers. Black and white were computers. I am telling. You're not where I need you to be. It's not my imagination. Now, where the hell do you go every day? To the bathroom, sir. To the bathroom. No. For 40 minutes a day? What are you doing there? We're T-minus zero here. I put a lot of faith in you. There's no bathroom for me here. What do you mean there's no bathroom for you here? There is no bathroom. There are no colored bathrooms in this building or any building outside the West Campus, which is half a mile away. 
Did you know that? I have to walk to Timbuktu just to relieve myself. And I can't use one of the handy bikes. Picture that, Mr. Harrison. My uniform, skirt below my knees, my heels, and a simple string of pearls. Well, I don't own pearls. Lord knows you don't pay colors enough to afford pearls. And I work like a dog, day and night, living off a of coffee from a pot none of you want to touch. Excuse me, if I have to go to the restroom a few times a day. I love that scene, just because you see her standing up and confronting injustice, and, and in particular, confronting ignorance. Like she asked him, there's no toilets for me here. And he goes, what do, what do you mean? He has no idea the struggle that she has to deal with, that she has to walk a, a mile away to use the bathroom, that she has to drink coffee from a separate pot from everybody else in that room, even though it's the exact same drink inside. It's ignorance. And what she's telling them is that, that this ignorance isn't an excuse. It, it boils down to racism. That maybe she's not getting physically persecuted like some other people were in that, that point in time. But she's getting dealt a different deck that's not the same full deck that everybody else is getting dealt. That's racism. And folks, here's the thing. It's wrong for, uh, we, we look back at this and we realize it's wrong that she had to use a different restroom. It's wrong that she had to use a different drinking fountain or coffee pot or set in a different area. All of that is wrong. And what that tells us is that racism in every way, shape, and form is wrong. Racism is wrong at work. It's wrong at school. And racism, by my goodness, it's wrong in the church. In fact, I would take this a step further, and I would say that if you have any thoughts whatsoever that somebody who doesn't look like you and sound like you doesn't belong in the church or, or doesn't uh, fit with, with you and your culture, how dare you call yourself a Christian? And how dare you call yourself a member of Redwood Christian Church? Here's the thing, folks. Racism is wrong, Period. And if you think that, that you're just only going to enjoy a place where everybody looks like you and sounds like you and has the same culture and society as you, I got a little spoiler for you. You're not going to enjoy heaven. 
Because in the book of Revelation, it tells us what heaven's going to be like when it says there were people from every tribe and every tongue. In other words, every color, every language, every culture, and they're all there. And guess what they're doing? They're not bickering with each other. They're worshiping God, period. And let me ask you something. If that's how heaven's going to be, and if that's what you claim you want for your life, then why in the world would you spend your time here on earth anything otherwise? Why in the world would you not want your church to be the same way? Here's my vision. As a church, I want us to be as ethnically and culturally diverse as heaven's going to be. We should want that. We should strive for that. We should want our celebrations here in this church to be what they're going to be like in heaven one of these days. We should want that. Because here's the thing, folks. When Jesus went to that cross, he did it so we could be set free from our sins, yes, but he also did that so we could be united. How dare we take that away from him? How dare we undo something that he died on the cross for? Because here's the thing. I, I, I can't stress this enough. No matter what sacrifice you think you have made, it's nothing compared to what Jesus has made. And here's what it kind of boils down to, and we're going to see this in our, our next scene here. To confront injustice, to confront wrongs, it takes guts. It takes courage. And we're going to see that in this next scene with Mary confronting something, taking courage to confront something that is wrong, but also challenging somebody else to do something that it wasn't widely accepted, even if it was right. Watch this next scene. Mary Jackson. Petition to attend courses at Hampton High School. Good morning, Your Honor. Hampton High School is a white school, Mrs. Jackson. Yes, Your Honor, I'm aware of that. Virginia, still a segregated state, regardless of what the federal government says, regardless of what the Supreme Court says, our law is the law. Your Honor, if I may. I believe there are special circumstances to be considered. What would warrant a colored woman attending a white school? May I approach your bench, sir? Your Honor, you of all people should understand the importance of being first. How's that, Mrs. Jackson? Well, you were the first in your family to serve in the armed forces, U.S. Navy, the first to attend university, George Mason, and the first state judge to be recommissioned by three consecutive governors. You've done some research. Yes, sir. What's the point? The point is, Your Honor, no Negro woman in the state of Virginia has ever attended an all-white high school. It's unheard of. Yeah, unheard of. And before Alan Shepard sat on top of a rocket, no other American had ever touched space. And now he will forever be remembered as the U.S. Navy man from New Hampshire, the first to touch the stars. And I, sir, I plan on being an engineer at NASA. But I can't do that without taking them classes at that all-white high school. And I can't change the color of my skin. So I have no choice but to be the first which I can't do without you, sir. Your Honor, out of all the cases you're going to hear today, which one is going to matter 100 years from now? Which one is going to make you the first? 
Only the night classes, Mrs. Jackson. I love the way she challenged him to be the first. See, kind of some, some context there. She wanted to uh, become an engineer. You saw the scene earlier in the movie when he said, if you were a white male, would you want to be one? And she goes, I wouldn't have to. I already would be. And so now she's decided to apply for it. Well, in the meantime, NASA's changed their requirements that require a master's degree. And, and she has a great line in there. She goes, every time we get close to winning the race, they move the finish line on us. And so now you see this, the only way she can do this is to get her master's is to take correspondence classes that are held at an all-white high school, and she needs this judge to sign off for that for her. So from her standpoint, it takes guts for her to go ask this. And from us, in hindsight, looking back at this now, you know, almost 60 years later, we can look at that judge and go, well, yeah, he made an easy decision because that's what needed to be done. There don't need to be all white schools and all, all colored schools like they had at the time. No, we can just have schools, right? But let's, let's kind of step back into his shoes for a second. Because at that time, that was unacceptable. He, like she said, he had been appointed by three straight governors. This probably cost him a fourth appointment. This probably cost him some clout in his courtroom. This probably cost him a, a country club membership. This probably cost him some things in his life. But like she said, you have the chance to do something that is right. Again, just because it's the way it is doesn't mean it's right. There's a scene in the Bible that's very similar to this. If you've got a Bible, uh, go to Acts chapter 10. So we're going to see this scene, and as you're, as you're getting there, I'll kind of set it up and, and paraphrase just a little bit here. But in Acts chapter 10, we read about Peter, who was a devout Jew, and unlike Paul, he, he wasn't open to the idea of Gentile inclusion yet, but Peter uh, is visited by God and he's told, you know what, you need to include the Gentiles. And Peter kind of wants to fight with this a little bit, so God tells him, go to Cornelius' house. This is a, a Gentile. Go there and, and share the gospel with him. Now, I don't know what Peter was like growing up. I'm sure he went to an all-Jewish boys' school. Maybe his school, you know, played some games where there were some Gentiles on the other team. You know, maybe when he turned 16 and got his first car, he played some Gentile music in the radio, you know, because his parents weren't there to tell him otherwise. Maybe, maybe you know, he, he had one that he worked with. I, I don't know. But what we do know is Peter and his people had their side of town. The Gentiles had their side of town, and that's kind of the way things were. But like any good Jewish boy, Peter didn't just go openly interact with the Gentiles, but yet here is God telling him to go interact with the Gentiles. And here's what happens in verse 27. Peter has shown up at Cornelius' house, and he's knocked on the door, and they answer it. And here's what it says. While talking with him, Peter went inside, and he found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Now, this is kind of an interesting little scene here, because Peter's shown up to Cornelius' house, and not only is Cornelius there, but his entire family and a lot of friends are there too. And Peter walks in, and he's probably like a deer caught in headlights, just like, oh, I wasn't expecting this many people. And as you read this, it's kind of cringy. It's kind of awkward, right? Because Peter walks in, and he's like, okay, so... 
guys, you're probably aware that you know, people like me don't associate with people like you. But God told me to come, so here I am. And that's kind of how that reads, right? He's like, oh, I'm here because God told me to be here. But even if this is uncomfortable, Peter is stepping out of a comfort zone that he has known his whole life. He's kind of pushed by God and told by God, and maybe it's a firm push from God to go do this. But Peter steps out of his comfort zone to reach out to this family. But one of the things I love about this story, too, maybe even more, is the humility of Cornelius and his family. Because they could have gotten hostile with him. They could have been like, no, you know what, we don't want your kind here. Because your kind looks down on my kind, so your kind can just go somewhere else. They don't get hostile. They don't get overly sensitive or offended. No, they welcome him in. They bring him in. They're willing to overlook Peter's past in his rough edges, and they see that he's really trying. They see that he's trying to build a bridge. I I wonder how many of you have found yourself in a, a situation like this where you're a member of a different ethnic background or socioeconomic class or, or different religious background, or maybe you're new to the faith, or, or I don't know, but you found yourself in a different uh, classification, quote-unquote, than everybody else in the room, how you felt, how they made you feel. Or maybe you were part of that majority in the room and, and somebody who wasn't part of that majority walked in. How did you make them feel? Put yourselves in the shoes there. How did that go, go on? You see, I look at this, and, and I, I don't know what Peter's exact mindset was when he stepped in that room that day, or what Cornelius's was, but I do know what happened when he was there. Peter says this down in verse 34. It says, I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Translation here. Peter's saying, you know what, for a long time I was either too proud to admit it or I was just too ignorant to realize it, but I'm going to make a, a confession to you now. I'm admitting something to you. God has, he says the words, God has shown me and I now realize what he's saying here is, you know what, God has opened my eyes. God has convicted my heart. God has shown me what is actually right, not just what I think was right because my society told me what was right and wrong. God has opened all of the the, the eyes to my heart, so to speak. See, I don't think that Peter was an intentional racist. I I don't think that he was trying to set out to be exclusionary towards some people. I think it was mostly unintentional. Again, maybe the result of the culture. That's just the way it was. That's the way we grew up. It was a different time. I've heard that I don't know how many times in my life. But here's the thing, folks. That doesn't excuse it. That doesn't excuse it. Unintentional racism is still racism. Structural or, or institutionalized racism is still racism. And here's the thing, you need to understand this. Racism is not just a character flaw. Racism is not just a weakness. Racism is not just a mistake or a shortcoming or a bad habit. Racism is sin, period. And there's no other way around it. And here's the thing, as Christians, our goal is to get away from sin. The church, our goal is not only to get away from sin, but to help others get away from sin by showing them Jesus. So what do we do in the face of sin? We humble ourselves and we repent. Maybe that's you. Maybe you can look back and go, man, you know what? I wasn't really trying to, but man, I've, I've been this way. What do I do? Well, you humble yourself and you repent. 
you admit that you were wrong and you fix it. And maybe for you, that means being the first. Maybe for you, that means having the guts to step out and do something that's different than what your family has, has always known. Maybe uh, for you, that means having the courage to step through a door. Because here's the thing, when you have the guts to be the first to step through a door, others are going to follow you. It may not be the ones you want, but some are going to follow you. Peter wasn't necessarily the first to reach out to the Gentiles, but when he did, a lot of others followed. A lot of others that followed Peter followed. Maybe for you, God wants to be the first one to break a cycle of sin in your life and in your family. Maybe he's calling you and you go, this is going to be a hard step. Yeah, it's going to be. But God's pushing you towards it anyway. And you know in your heart it's the right step to make. Have the guts, have the courage to be the first. Maybe it goes beyond just racism. Maybe for you it's, it's having the courage to be the first one in your family to accept Jesus. To say yes to him, to get baptized, to become a Christian. That might cost you friends, might cost you family members. But if you've read his word, you know that's the right thing to do. Maybe for you, it's, it's having the guts to be the first one to step up for somebody in your office who's not getting treated the right way. Maybe somebody's getting harassed or mistreated. You have the courage to step up to them. So, uh, maybe maybe it's, it's having uh, the, the courage to be the first to step up to a neighbor who's an outcast. We talked about that last week with, with Jennifer and, and talking about the greatest showman, how to reach out to the outcasts, because we're all outcasts. Reaching out to that person. Do you have the guts and the courage to step up and be the first if nobody else is doing it? Just because it's the way it is doesn't make it right. We've got one more scene here. In, in, in this scene, Catherine gets the chance to be the first. She's in a situation where uh, the pressure's coming. Uh, John Glenn's launch date is just a few weeks away. This is going to be a pivotal moment for, um, for the space program. They're trying to put him into orbit and bring him home safely, and the math doesn't even exist yet. She's trying to figure it out, and it changes on a daily basis, and here's kind of what happens. Mr. Harrison, I would like to attend today's briefing. Why is that? Well, sir, the data changes so fast. The capsule changes, the weight and the landing zones are all changing every day. I do my work, you attend these briefings, I have to start over. Colonel Glenn launches in a few weeks. We don't have the man figured out yet. Why is it she can't attend? Because she doesn't have clearance, Al. I cannot do my work effectively if I do not have all of the data and all of the information as soon as it's available. I need to be in that room hearing what you hear. Pentagon briefings are not for civilians. It requires the highest clearance. I feel like I'm the best person to present my calculations. You're not going to let this go, are you? No, I am not. And, and she is a woman. There is no protocol for a woman okay, attending Okay, I get meetings. that part, Paul. But within these walls, who, uh, who makes the rules? You, sir. You are the boss. You just have to act like one, sir. You keep quiet. Okay, so we have the vehicle speed, the launch window, and for argument's sake, the landing zone is the Bahamas. Should be enough to figure the go, no go? Yeah, in theory, sir. We need to be past theory at this point. We'll be able to calculate a go, no go with that information. When exactly is that going to happen? <laughs> Catherine? Have a go at it? 
The goal point for re-entry is 2,990 miles from where we want Colonel Glenn to land. If we assume that's the Bahamas, it's 17,544 miles per hour upon re-entry, 370 feet at a descent angle of 46.56 degrees. Distance is velocity squared, sine gravity. Thirty-two feet, and the distance would be twenty million five hundred thirty thousand three hundred seventy-two feet, or two thousand nine hundred ninety miles, or forty-six point three three degrees. Okay, so that puts your landing zone at five. 0.0667 degrees north, 77.3333 degrees west, which is here. Right here. Give or take 20 square miles. I like your numbers. <laughs> Thank you. So let me ask you a question. Who's somebody you can hand the chalk to? We see there that he hands her the chalk and says, hey, you're supposed to be quiet here, but, but go up there and show them what you can do. See, this is something I think we can all do. We, we, can, we can look in and, and we can find those hidden figures in our lives who can make a difference in our world, in our community. We can leverage whatever position we have to help those who might not otherwise get noticed help others. They saw John Glenn there at the end. He goes, I, I like her numbers. He's the one who's getting famous off of this. He's the one they throw a ticker tape parade for at the end. He's the one who's gone down in American lore as the first man uh, to go into orbit. You know, he became an American icon, an American hero because of this. But he knows, I didn't get there on my own. I just happened to be the one sitting in there. And because of guys like Mr. Harrison, the director who leads this data research group, he gets to go there, but it's because of people like Catherine who are behind the scenes and have, have no name outside of their little circle that Mr. Harrison's able to provide Colonel Glenn with what he needs. So who are those hidden figures that you're able to hand off a piece of chalk to because you never know what kind of eternal impact they can make until they do? See, the Bible kind of says it this way in Ecclesiastes 9, or I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes 4, it says two are better than one because they have a good return on their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other one up. Now, we know this works because at some point in our lives, somebody handed us the chalk. Somebody gave us the opportunity to succeed. Maybe it was a parent or, or a teacher or a coach or somebody in your life that gave you the opportunity to succeed. Can you think of that somebody in your life that has done that for you? Or can you think of somebody in your life you can do this for, that you can hand that off to and give them a chance to succeed? Who's a hidden figure in your life? For Jesus, it was his disciples. He didn't go after the ones that were the Bible college trained. He went after the fishermen, the dreaded tax collector. He went after those, and because he handed it off to them and said, you go do the work, our church exists today. The church th thrived after he left. 
So who's that person for you that you can go to and you can give them a chance to be empowered? You can give them a chance to thrive regardless of who they are. Back at NASA, they get down to crunch time and they've got this new IBM computer which Dorothy saw coming. She knew it was happening, so she jumped out ahead of the train and learned everything there was to learn about this computer because it was going to replace all of them. And she mastered it before anybody else did and wound up being in charge of it. But at the end, the, the computer can't quite get the numbers that they want, and so they've got to call on Catherine one more time to get their astronaut into space. The IBM's been spot on up to this point, John, but we'll run it again, see what it comes up with. I'm going to be honest with you, Al. When I fly, I fly the machine. And right now, it seems like this machine's flying me. We're on the same page, John. Our guys are on it. Let's get the girl to check the numbers. The girl? Yes, sir. You mean Catherine? Yes, sir. The smart one. I mean, she says they're good. I'm ready to go. All right, we'll get into it. Roger. Sam. Go find Catherine Goble. She needs to verify Glenn's go, no go, or we're staying on the ground. Yes, sir. Looking for Catherine Goble. Catherine Johnson now. They need you to verify these coordinates. All right, give us some space so to work. We can confirm the go no go point for reentry is one six point one one nine eight four degrees latitude. Minus 165.2356 degrees longitude. The launch window is a go. The landing coordinates match. Well, that is very good news, Al. It's uh, a little hard to trust something you can't look in the eyes. That's right, Colonel. Catherine did manage to calculate a few decimal points further than that hunk of metal. Well, I will take every digit you got. Be sure to thank her for me. Gentlemen, let's launch this rocket. Good luck, Friendship 7. Godspeed, Langley. And we are go for launch. The Mercury spacecraft umbilical is out. T minus 10 seconds and counting. Motor systems. Eight. Mercury capsule. Go. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. You too, Mr. Harrison. So, um, you think we can get to the moon? We're already there, sir.
solving 24,000 sure if you could read those those captions that were on there, but uh, it mentioned that Mary became the first female aeronautical engineer in America's history, regardless of race. mentioned that Dorothy became the first African-American supervisor, regardless of gender, at NASA, and that she mastered the IBM supercomputer before anybody else did, and then that Catherine went on to perform some of the most important calculations for the Apollo 11 mission to the moon and later worked on the space shuttle missions as well, too. And now the computational building at NASA bears her name, nobody else's. As we close today, I wanted to ask you a little bit different today. If you'd bow your heads with me, because as we pray today to wrap up, I want to ask that you be praying in a few areas. First today, maybe you have been the object or the target of some acts of whether it's racism or sexism or injustice, you have been the, 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 the recipient of those. And is, is that's, if that's you today, I want you to understand what the Bible says about loving and praying for your enemies and to being good to those who hate you. So would you today, no matter how much you've been wronged, would you just pray, God, please give me your grace to not fight back but show me your grace that maybe I could find a way to forgive those who have hurt me. And just pray today, God, you would make me a strong person of character, love, joy, peace, and patience. Second, today, would you ask and pray that God would show you and convict you if you have maybe had times where your thinking is out of alignment with him and his gospel when it comes to areas such as racism or classism or sexism, See, the truth is that no matter where you are when it comes to these things, God is still at work in you and still at work in me to teach us to love the people the way that he loves people. And as a Christian, we should never entertain those thoughts because we should always be true to his gospel, and this should always be our prayer. Maybe you're like the Apostle Peter where you need a moment where you say, I now realize that God treats everyone the same no matter what race or gender or class they belong to. And I want to treat people like Jesus treated people. Pray, God, forgive me. I'm sorry for demeaning your people, who you have made in your image, those same people that Jesus died for. And third, would you continue to pray for our church? 
that we would continue to make strides in these areas. Would you pray that one day Redwood will truly be a church where God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, a place that every tribe and nation and language and race can come together to worship God, and that a watching world will look with amazement at the hearts of the people who have been transformed by Jesus. Would you pray that we will be the ones to have the courage to be the first at times when it's hard, and that we will be better at giving people the chalk and giving them a chance to thrive. God, we ask that you would soften our hearts and be more receptive in these areas, knowing that we're all created in your image. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.